reading this morning here, Luke 23, Luke chapter 23, we'd like to read two verses, and since we only have two verses, we'll read in unison rather than responsively this morning, verses 33 and 34 I'm referring to, that's Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, and reading in unison, and as always, if you're able to stand once again in respect to the reading of the word of God, I invite you to stand. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, and reading in unison. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father. Now, in what I believe is our most important time of the week, Lord, when we come to hear the preaching of the Word of God, I pray that you might speak to hearts through your Word this morning. Have your will and way in our midst, we pray. Bless this text. May it come alive again to us this morning, we pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, once again. Then said Jesus... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Christ's first words on the cross were words of prayer. There was an intercessory intercessory prayer. His first words on the cross were not of cursing. There's no doubt that many men would curse and revile and spit at their executioners try to mock in their last minutes of before death. His first words were not cursing, but a praying. It was not a prayer for himself. We always pray for ourselves. But it was a prayer for others. Not a prayer that said, Father, forgive me. We all need to pray that. But a, father, a prayer that said, Father, forgive them. His first words on the cross was a Word of prayer, a request for forgiveness. He who did no sin became sin for us that knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, unlike his authoritative words of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6, where he said, The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He came not as the intercessor at that moment in time, but he came more in the place of condemnation for us. He said, Father, forgive them, condemn me. I like the song, and I should have been crucified, I should have suffered and died, I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. I like the song, but it wouldn't matter. We could die on the cross like the thief on the left or the thief on the right. We'd die for our own sin, and and rightly so. We could never pay for our sins for us, for ourselves. But I want you to notice, and we could talk about the seven sayings of the cross another time, another message, the second saying on the cross was the word of assurance. He said, today to the thief thou shalt be with me in paradise. Third saying was the word of devotion. He turned to his mother and he said, mother, behold thy son, the son, behold thy mother. The fourth saying was the word of dereliction. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The fourth saying, a word of agony, my thirst. Then there was the word of triumph. It is finished. 
And lastly, of course, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit a word of confidence. But I want you to know the very first words by divine design at the cross of Calvary that Jesus spoke when he, I believe, stretched out his hands. No man took his life from him. He gave his life willingly. When he laid his hands down on those cross beams, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first word was a word of forgiveness. The word of forgiveness is at the very core of Calvary. It's what Calvary is all about, forgiveness. I want you to consider this morning five things in regards to that key word, Father, forgive. The word forgiveness. I want you to consider for a few seconds with me this morning the doctrine of forgiveness. The teaching of forgiveness, where does it come from? Forgiveness is a God thing. It's a, it's a good thing, but it's a God thing. Isaiah 53 and verse 10, the messianic prophecy of Christ some, given some 700 years before Christ came to the earth. The Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. You see, forgiveness is not an Allah thing, it's a Jehovah thing. It's not Allah Akbar, let's make war. It's, he came as the Prince of Peace. He's the God of Peace. And it emanates from, from God himself. This doctrine of forgiveness is a God thing, but it's a Christ thing. Isaiah 53 and verse 4, Surely he, that's Christ, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded, do you know it? He was wounded for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This doctrine of God, this doctrine of forgiveness emanates from God. It was, it was brought past by the Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we see that it's a God thing, it's a Christ thing, but I want you to know that this doctrine of forgiveness is a Christian thing. You see, we're to be little Christ. We're little Christ ones. It's Christianity 101. If you don't understand forgiveness, you probably don't understand God, and if you don't understand forgiveness, you probably don't know Christ. Because Christ is at the core of forgiveness. And we see it emanated at the cross of Calvary. And so we see this doctrine of forgiveness. Then I want you to notice, if we could, please, to our text as we pull out every word once again, verse 34, that, the, that Jesus, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. I want you to consider the degree of forgiveness. He said to the Father, Father, forgive. Now, we must understand that there's not a universal pardon here. That would be universalism. Some think that, that eventually everybody's going to get to heaven because God's God of love. Father, forgive them. They take the verse out of context. Some churches, a famous worldwide church, that if you pray long enough and hard enough over maybe a course of several hundred years, you'll pray yourself out of a middle ground between heaven and hell and get to heaven. Everybody will get to heaven eventually. 
Just pray enough, light enough candles. That's not what the scriptures teach. It's not a universal pardon, but there's a universal propitiation. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2. And he is the propitiation. The Greek word is the word halasmos. It means covering. He's the propitiation for our sins. That's the, he's the ransom for our sins. He's the payment for our sins. The key word is the word. He's the satisfaction for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, we see the, the degree of forgiveness. I have two subpoints when I think about this degree of forgiveness. First of all, consider the who. Depends on who the scholar is, the theologian. A.T. Robertson, the famous Greek theologian, said that when Christ laid down his arms, that he specifically, when he said, Father, forgive them, he was talking about the Romans, specifically the Roman soldiers. E.H. Plummer, another great theologian of days past, said that no, he was talking about the Jews. The Jews, of course, brokered the deal, the Sanhedrin, and of course, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and uh, the 70, they brokered the deal, and they, 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 they said, we don't have no king but Pilate. A. Watson, another theologian, said that, that, that when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was talking about both Jews and Gentiles. How a third or fourth theologian said that, no, he's talking about all mankind. J. Oswald Sanders said it this way, was it, not sin of the, was it not the sin of the world that nailed him to the cross? You see, the Bible says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at that, last, that next phrase there, for they know not what they do. They knew exactly what they were doing. We sin willfully. Sometimes we sin ignorantly. Many people think that sinning ignorantly, there's an excuse. He forgave them because they did it out of ignorance. Ignorance is you break the speed limit and you're in a 65 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. The officer pulls you over and asks you a question. You know, you were speeding and says, I didn't know it was 45. Doesn't matter. Ignorance is no excuse of the law. And yet it was not ignorance. Ignorance did not render sin excusable, but forgivable. They knew what they were doing. They didn't know the degree of what they were doing, but they knew what they were doing. The Jews knew what they were doing. The Romans knew what they were doing. I would submit to you that when we sin, we usually know what we're doing. We don't sin ignorantly, although many times we do, but many times we sin willfully, volitionally. This sin was, excuse, was not rendered excusable, but it was forgivable. Sin is sin. But Christ's prayer made available forgiveness for all, but, it, but, not to, uh, but not all will avail themselves to it. 1 Timothy 4.10 says it this way, for he is the savior of all men, especially those that believe. Christ died on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Who's the who? Rich or poor, bond or free, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, boy or girl. Christ died for all. And so we see he died for the who, but... Then we ask the question, how much did he die for? The song says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
Young people, I love that song we've sang it many times in our church, I'm Just a Sinner Saved by Grace. It's a great song, and it's a beautiful song, and it's got a lot of great message to it, but I want you to know that now we are, once we're saved, we're declared justified. We're saints. We're saints of God, and he looks at us, and he sees no sin when he looks at us through Christ. You see, when Christ died on the cross, let me ask you a question, a quiz question here. When he died on the cross, did he pay for all your past sins? What's the answer to that? Help me out. Yes. Did he pay for your sins that you committed this morning? Yes. How many of you committed sins this morning? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> did he pay for your sins you're going to commit this afternoon? How about next week, next year? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, he paid my sin. All of them. Micah 7 and verse 19 he will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou hast cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. And a verse we quote so often, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. The songwriter had it right when he said, Calvary covers it all. So Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Present active tense. Father, keep on forgiving them. He, whoever lives forever, make intercession for us. He's on the throne. He was delivered. Romans 5, 4, 25 reminds us. He was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. And he now sits on the right hand of the throne of, the throne of glory. He makes intercession for us over and over and over again, forever and ever. Calvary covers it all. So we see this degree of forgiveness. We see the who, we see the how much. We see the doctrine of forgiveness as a God thing, it's a Christ thing, it's a meant to be a Christian thing. But I want you to take your Bibles now and turn to the what I call the meat of the message. Turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would, please. Matthew 18, I want you to see the story of a sophisticated seminarian by the name of Peter that had walked with the Lord at this time for almost three years. And I want you to notice the duty of forgiveness. The duty of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother Sin against me and I forgive him till seven times. You see, Jesus even gave the words and the, the apostles, or rather the Jews knew this, that we would turn the other cheek. You forgive a man once, that's, that's just standard. Forgive him twice, that's pretty godly. Forgive a man three times just for extra measure, just for sure, for, for, for good measure. But after three times, the Pharisees said, hey, anything goes. No holds barred. Peter, being doubly spiritual over the Jews, or over the Pharisees, he said, Lord, how many times should we forgive? And he, and he doubled the number and then added one more just to make sure he's on the safe side. Well, how about we forgive seven times? Doesn't that make us godly? The Lord said, verse number 22 of our text, Matthew 18, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. 
490 times, that is. Now, if you forgive somebody once and then seven times and then 100 times and then 400 times and you get to 455 and you're still counting, you didn't understand the verse. The implication is obvious. It's a metaphor. It's, it's meant to be forgive forever, for eternity, 70 times seven. You say, that's impossible. It's a God thing. It's a Christian thing. And I'm sure it blew the disciples away and Peter away as well. So the Lord goes enters into a long dissertation, a long parable. Look at verse number 23. He explains, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which took account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one, of, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will, repay, I will pay thee all. Verse 27, then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave his debt. And I've underlined in my Bible that last phrase, and forgave his debt. We go back to verse 24, that 10,000 talents that he owed. I did a little investigation, a little math. Numbers change, of course, over the course of time and inflation and so forth. And, but one talent was equal to 60 mina. One mina would be equal to an average Jew's three months' wages. One talent would be 15 years then of wages. 10,000 talents would be 150,000 years of wages at if pretending that you could make 50,000 a year for 150,000 years if you could possibly live. Anybody plan on living for 150,000 years here? I don't think so. Not on this earth. And you times 50,000 times 150,000, that's how I got my math, you find out that this man owed $7.5 billion. Never could pay it in a lifetime. Never going to happen. But he's forgiven his whole entire debt. I ask you the question, how many sins, past tense, did the Lord die for you on the cross of Calvary already for? How many hundreds of sins? Oh, hundreds? Would it be in thousands? How about tens of thousands? You want to go higher? You want to be honest? How many sins did he forgive you for? How many sins will he forgive you for? Billions, collectively speaking at least. More than you know. Sins of ignorance, sins of willful volition, sins of commission, sins of omission. Some talk about venial sins and mortal sins and cardinal sins and other definitions of or variants of sin, but it's all sin. It all adds up. Lord didn't stop there. This servant is forgiven of this incredible $7.5 billion debt. But the Bible goes on to say, verse 25, Jesus tells a story. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Who could that be? That's, remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly application. Who's your fellow servant? Fellow brother? Fellow sister? Maybe a relative? And the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him in 100 pence. 
And they laid hold on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me thou that thou owest. They did the math, a hundred pence, ten thousandths of a, one one thousandth of a talent. A uh, hundred pence would be about $16,000 if we use the same math. One guy owes $7.5 billion, and he's forgiven of all his debt, all my sins under the blood of Christ. And he finds somebody that has wronged him and owes him $16,000. And the Bible goes on to say, in verse 29, he asked for mercy, this other fellow servant. And his servant, fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went, out, went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when, the, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. They came and told unto, him, unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, now, if the analogy, by the way, of the servant in, again, an earthly illustration with a uh, uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. If the servant is the Christian, in the parable, he's called a wicked servant. Jesus called him that. O thou wicked servant. Verse 2032 it is. I, I forgave thee all that debt because thou didn't Thou desirest me, you asked me. Should not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that he was due unto him. So likewise, in the same way, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts, remember Christianity is an affair of the heart, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. For with your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. The application is made. I want you to understand that there's a duty of forgiveness. You see, it's a God thing. It's a Christ thing. It's a Christian thing. And he gives us the degree to who and how much. And he gives the illustration of how much we've sinned against him. And how much our brothers have sinned against us. Microscopically in comparison to how we've sinned against him. And what we learn from this is a couple applications. Remember, first of all, that Christian, Christian forgiveness is not a, just a good idea. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not if I feel like it. It's not, well, I don't, I don't want to. No. The Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who forgives all thy sins and buries them from the east. Uh, removes them as far as the east is from the west, buries them in the depths of the deepest sea, never to remember it ever again, past, present, and future. You see, this idea that forgiveness is a thing to do if I feel like exercising my options. I'm glad that the Lord said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus didn't exercise his options. He went to the cross. He did always those things that pleased his Father. And so we ask the question, we, 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 we ponder rather, Christian forgiveness is not just a good idea, something I can do if I feel like it, but it's a command. Then I want you to consider this second bullet point. 
The blood of Jesus Christ, I've already said it three times, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Including, if it cleanses us from all sin, then it cleanses us, it also cleanses, including the ones committed against me. The sins of those, my fellow brother, my fellow servant, my relative that sinned against me. You see, in essence, when you don't forgive someone that has sinned against you, you are saying in a prayer essence, you're essentially saying this, Father, your son's blood was, was enough to satisfy you to cleanse me of all my sin, but it's not enough to satisfy me. Romans chapter, or rather Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 says, in fact, that whole book talks about there was one sacrifice for sin once for all. And if the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse someone from their sin, nothing can. And when you say that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient and efficient and efficacious enough to forgive you of your sin, but not enough to somebody that sinned against you, for you to forgive them of your sin, you're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ under your foot. You're doing this despite to the grace of God. It's a heinous, heinous sin. And that leads me to a fourth negative message is to be positive. It's Palm Sunday after all. But I want to give you a fourth negative truth about forgiveness. I want you to consider the damnation of unforgiveness. If there's full pardon, full propitiation, full covering for forgiveness, what is there for unforgiveness? Well, the Bible tells us a story. The Lord was wroth, verse 34 of Matthew chapter 18, was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors that he should pay all that was due unto him. The damnation of unforgiveness delivers to the tormentors. The word's found 16 times in our New Testament, in, our Greek, in the Greek New Testament. We know the most famous time probably would be in Luke chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man died and went to hell and in torments. He lifted up his eyes being in, the Bible says, being in torments. Hell's a terrible place. Hell's a place of fire. Hell's a place where their worm dieth not. I think there literally are worms in heaven, or in hell, excuse me. But I think, and I don't know for sure, but I'm, I know many theologians make the postulate that the, the worm there is talking when Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 9 about the, the hellfire and brimstone that, and hell where the worm dieth not. It's talking about the conscience, about memories. Certainly the rich man in hell had a conscience. And he knew he had five brothers. He was in torments. He made me thought of all the times that he could have repented and didn't. Some people say, and I've, I've got corrected on this in recent months, and maybe last year or so now. But we hear people say, this is hell on earth. And we always reject that. We know that hell's a real place. But I would say, in their minds at least, many people make hell on earth. There's a lot of truth in that. They, they make the hell for themselves. They are tormented because of unforgiveness. It leads to many things. It leads to bitterness, 
The root of bitterness whereby many be defiled, Hebrews says. Bitterness is the pill, someone has said, that we, the, the cup that we drink or poison, hoping someone else dies from it. Bitterness, depression, one of the tormentors from unforgiveness, depression. Outbreaks of anger, anxiety, fear. Addictions, every addiction, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be any variant of narcotics or what have you. Many times can be traced back to unforgiveness. Paranoia, control issues. Even many, many, not all, but many physical issues can be traced to unforgiveness. A broken spirit drives the bones. Mary Hart does good like a medicine. Unforgiveness can hurt, it can damage you, it can mess with your psyche, it can mess with your emotions, and mess with your physical well-being. You see, the Lord said, I'll deliver you if you will not forgive to the tormentor. That's a, that's a frustration, to say the least. That should, that should scare every, every unforgiving person, especially if you're a child of God. And then the Lord doubles down and he says in the last verse of Matthew 18 one more time, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. He forgave all the debt. He forgave the debt and he gave him mercy. But then he says, if you won't give mercy to someone else, if you, you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses, God says, I'm going to deliver you to the tormentor. Why are you depressed this morning? Why are you angry this morning? Why can't you talk to that relative of yours? How come you're at odds with your brother in Christ? Your sister in Christ? And you have justification because they hurt you so bad. They wronged you. You didn't wrong Jesus, of course. But they wronged you. And the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient enough to forget cleanse you of all your sin. But it's not sufficient enough to give you peace and to cleanse you or that person, that fellow servant that's wronged against you. That brings me back to Luke 23 and we're almost done. Let's look at the... We've seen a doctrine of forgiveness, the, de- the degree of forgiveness, the duty of forgiveness. It's not just a good idea, it's a command. The damnation of unforgiveness delivered to the tormentors. But then I want you to notice, fifthly, consider the deliverance that comes with forgiveness. All kinds of deliverances come from forgiveness. Later on in our chapter here, in chapter 23 of Luke, we read in verse number 39, and one of the male factors, criminals, thieves they were called, but probably murderers as well, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not now thou, dost not thou fear God? We have a society today that no longer fears God. They mock God. But this one on the, on the cross, he feared God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation as a conversation going on between the two thieves. And the one thief said, verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
For this man hath done nothing amiss. He's done nothing wrong. He recognized him as the Messiah. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, notice he said unto Jesus, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, with the mouth where the heart man believes unto righteousness. Remember me, he prayed from his heart, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, there's deliverance that comes from forgiveness. There's, first of all, there's salvation in asking for forgiveness. No one ever goes to heaven that isn't saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It isn't, doesn't call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we ask the Lord, Forgive me of my sins, I'm a sinner, just like the thief on the cross. He's the Savior. There's, there, there's salvation, there's deliverance in the salvation and asking for forgiveness. But then I want you to notice, secondly, there's God unleashes a second deliverance that comes from forgiveness. Is he unleashes his protection upon us when we forgive. We know, no, 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 go back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 31. But he unleashes, his, unleashes we're under his umbrella of protection when we forgive. When we don't forgive, we're cast out and we're cast out to the tormentors. We're delivered to the tormentors and have our own mental frustration and unforgiveness that the, the Christ cannot dwell in the heart of unforgiveness. And we, we minimize them. I'm not suggesting that the Spirit of God leaves us. I'm suggesting that we quench His Spirit. Another time, another message. I'm just, I have seven statements. Another message I stole from uh, Dr. Bruce Hebel. Another, another time he gives seven protocols of forgiveness. Let me just read the seven to you. Here they are. Protocol number one for forgiveness. Thank God for forgiving you. Protocol number two. Ask God, who do I need to forgive and for what? Who in my life do I need to forgive? Remember, it's not a good idea. It's a, it's a command. Thirdly, repent of your sin of unforgiveness. No repentance, no forgiveness. Repent of this egregious sin of unforgiveness. Fourthly, forgive each offense from your heart. Really do it. Fifthly, this is how you know if you've really forgiven somebody that's offended you or wronged you. Ask God to bless them and look for ways to bless them when possible. God bless that person. Lord, let them know and commit random acts of kindness. Bless them. Bless them more than me. Sixthly, commit to, quote-unquote, not remember the offense when the memory comes. You see, isn't it amazing? You say, I cannot forget what they did to me in my life. Oh, they hurt my family. They hurt me. We can't forget, but he buries our sins in the depths of the DVC. He never remembers them anymore. He removes them as far as thesis from the West, but we can't forget. Well, we can commit to forget. We can, can commit to remember that we asked that that sin has been forgiven. And then, seventhly, make pre-forgiveness a lifestyle. Decide you're going to live proactively. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The protocols of forgiveness. I would suggest that this week is the most holy week of on the Christian calendar, and some believe it is. And I, I, I would say if we had one week that we have to lift up as a great week of the Christian faith, I think it would be this week. 
Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, the Passion Week. When we reflect, we'll do it again Wednesday night and we'll have a commemoration of the, the Calvary on Wednesday night and then we'll have the celebration of the resurrection and the empty tomb next Sunday morning. The, this great week, Christian week. I would submit to you that the, no, what better way to get started on the week of passion than to start off this week of passion the same way the Lord started off his six hours on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The core of forgiveness is the core of Calvary. For forgiveness ought to be at the core of every Christian. Who in your heart and who, who in your life have you wronged or have been wrong, they've wronged you rather? I know nobody's ever wronged anybody else here, but somebody's wronged us. Who can you say proactively to say this week, Lord, I already forgive them in my heart. Let me bless them. Let me love them. It's no wonder we have divides in Christianity when we have divides in our own family, when we have divides in our own, with our own flesh and blood. God's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the last bullet point, and hear me carefully. God is never more glorified. Do you, think, do you think that Jesus was glorifying God when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? I think so. God is never more glorified in us than, than when we forgive. It shows that we believe the gospel. We believe Calvary. We've received Calvary. And we give that same, same forgiveness to others. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. The songwriter said, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? I would submit to you if there's an issue with forgiveness. Maybe you need to say what the Christ said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I'm not omniscient, but I'm not naive either. I would guess that in a congregation this size, Lord, there's probably more than a few people that, Lord, maybe have not understood or maybe willfully been ignorant of the doctrine of forgiveness. Oh, we know that you died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We know that they're all under the blood. But, Lord, we have, some of us have lived for thought against our brother against a loved one, against a mom or a dad, brother or sister, a co-worker, a brother in Christ, or maybe an unsaved person that's in our life. And Lord, if you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, how can, can we not say that as well? Can we not start off this week on a note of intercession, a note of prayer, a note of forgiveness, Lord, forgive your people, we pray. Help us, dear God, to exercise forgiveness in our lives. Bless in these moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that famous hymn of P.B. Bliss, of course, 275. Most of you know it, but let's turn to it.